Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing, it's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey everybody, welcome to the program. This is The Other People Show. I'm Brad Listy. I'm in Los Angeles. It is Friday. Hope you're doing okay out there. It's going to be a flashback episode today, as it is every Friday. I will be digging into the archives and sharing with you an outtake from an episode out of the past. Today, an outtake from episode 264, my conversation with author Jacinda Townsend. It first aired on March 30th, 2014. Jacinda Townsend is the author of the novels Mother Country, available from Grey Wolf Press, and Saint Monkey, available from W.W. Norton and Company. Jacinda is a graduate of the Iowa Writers' Workshop, and she teaches creative writing at Brown University. An outtake from episode 264, my conversation with Jacinda Townsend, is coming up in just a moment. A reminder before we get going that I do a weekly email newsletter. I would love it if you signed up over at bradlisty.substack.com. It's free. Likewise, there is another people Patreon community. If you listen to this show regularly, if you get something from it, if you appreciate the work that I do, I hope you will consider joining the other people Patreon community over at patreon.com slash other PPL pod. Today's episode is brought to you by Mary Sue Rucci Books, publisher of the debut novel, The Storm We Made by Vanessa Chan. The Storm We Made is a national bestseller. It is the official February pick of the Other People Book Club, a sweeping epic about an unlikely spy and a secret love affair set in Malaysia during World War II. I'm going to be talking with Vanessa Chan on this podcast in the days ahead. One more time, the book is called The Storm We Made, the best-selling debut novel by Vanessa Chan, available from Mary Sue Rucci Books. All right, so once again, today's flashback episode features an outtake from episode 264, my conversation with author Jacinda Townsend. It first aired on March 30th, 2014. Please know that if you like what you hear in this flashback and you want to listen to the full conversation with Jacinda Townsend, you can do that. It's in the feed. Just look for episode 264 
All episodes of The Other People Show are available to listeners. All right? I think we're ready to go. Here I am in conversation about a decade ago with Jacinda Townsend. I have in my big messy house is um, I have a 1949 Acrisonic piano, which is um, it's it was top of the line for Baldwin at that time, and um, I I bought it I play I really bought it for my kids, but neither one of them will play. So one day it reverts back to me and I'll play. Okay, because <laughs> well this is good to know because like I grew up in a house like my parents didn't even have a stereo. It was like footloose. Uh-huh. I mean, it wasn't like they, they did, it wasn't like they were anti-music, but there was just no music. Like they weren't. Right, they, right. They, they didn't have a record collection. They never went through that phase in their lives. They never like really fell in love with music in the way that. Wow. I did. Yeah. So, uh, but my great. What kind of music? For me. Yeah. What kind of music do you like? Oh, I mean, you know, it's hard to it's hard to pinpoint. I think especially these days because the way that we listen to music uh, cha- has changed so much since I was a kid. You mm. know? Back in the day, like mm-hmm. I used to, when I was like, up until I was like 20, I had like cassette tapes and I had hundreds <laughs> of them. And I used to like, I used to like listen to full albums and deliver pizzas and drive around listening to music and I would make mixtapes and do all that. And now I just like, I, I tend to buy track by track or I'll go, I don't know. It seems messier. It seems less concentrated than it used to be, which might just be a function mm-hmm. of my life. But, um, I like everything, every classical jazz, rock you know, hip hop, any, mm-hmm. anything and whatever sounds good, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but you, you know, saying that you have the piano in your house and that your kids still won't play. Like I have always had this fantasy that like, I'm going to have a music room in my house. I'm going to put it there <laughs> so that my children grow up playing. Um, they can fulfill, they can fulfill some sort of, uh, you know, un- unfulfilled yes. rock star fantasy that I never got to actually, exactly. <laughs> but they're not, exactly. but they're not playing. They want nothing to do with it. They want nothing to do with that. They play at gunpoint. One of them plays cello and the other plays violin. So I managed to I managed to convince them that they were rebelling against me ah. by not playing the piano and having them play other things. See, that's what I'm going <laughs> to so get. That's, that's a good idea. I'm going to get like a French horn and put it in like a room. <laughs> and then be like, fine, if you don't want this, here's an electric guitar, you know, whatever. <laughs> Exactly. Oh. So what were you saying about your great-grandfather? Oh, he was a professional piano player. That was his deal. He was a, Oh. So, I mean, we got it in my family. It's somewhere in there. But, uh, you know, he they, my ancestors are from Louisiana. So he played piano professionally. And, like, it skipped generations. And, like, I have this, uh-huh. I, I, you know, it, it. I have no idea if I could play because I never actually sat down to try. But I have this theory that because I wound up writerly that, Somehow he's in there somewhere, and then right, there's something. Right. I like to believe that there's something musical. It's just too depressing to think that there's nothing musical in my bloodline at all. You know, like it would just be. Right. It seems like such a gift to be able to sing and play an instrument. Uh, it seems like the ultimate. Definitely. Yeah. So that's cool that you can definitely uh, like you can sit down at a piano and just play for a while. I can. I I'm a little rusty on reading music, but um, but I I can still play. So yeah, I mean, and, and it's interesting what you said about it skipping generations. And I I read once that 
almost all successful musicians, or many really successful musicians, are third-generation musicians, like exactly third, not second, not 2.5, but they're third-generation musicians. So, like, I think Yo-Yo Ma is an example. So it, it takes, you know, my kids, I mean, bless their hearts, they're going to have to go one step further, you know. Um, but but it, it's interesting that you say, you know, it skipped you with your great-grandfather. But now I think that means you have to start again. Like, you have to do something. Yeah. It's be <laughs> and a... then your grandchildren will be. <laughs> <laughs> it's be a steep climb. I just, you know, there's not an ounce of vocal talent. I wish I could sing. God, <laughs> life would be so much easier. I would have had so many more girlfriends in high school if I could have done this. Uh, so, okay. So where are you from? You're from Kentucky, correct? I am from Kentucky. I'm from South Central Kentucky, actually. Um, about four hours south of here. So I, and I mean, oddly enough, it's not that similar to here in some ways it is, but in, in many ways, culturally, it is not. What's the difference? Uh, well, I think Kentucky is is a farmer insular place. Um, not too many people come and not too many people go. I think it is a place that is far more far more sort of clannish in the family clan way, you know. And I think there's there's actually like a historical reason for that, which is that when people first came over here and settled this area. You know, the the people who were from Wales and Scotland kind of, they collected themselves in Virgi- in West Virginia and Kentucky, and they just kind of settled in these hills and, and kept their clans together, literally, you know, yeah. whereas I think Indiana is a much more kind of like westward expansion sort of state. So people passing yeah. through, like people passing through Indiana on the way to yeah. Lewis or something. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. I grew up in Indiana part of my childhood, and I used to – I remember, like, knowing some people from Kentucky, especially when, like, friends of mine got into college and went to IU, and there were some people who crossed the state line to go to IU, and people from Kentucky are hardcore. Like, I remember (laughs) – like, they were the kind of guys – like, there were a couple guys from Kentucky who would, like, just get, like, so drunk and, like, have a fist fight for, like, fun, and then – Wake up the next day and it was like fine. I was, <laughs> but like a real fist fight, you know, not like play. Like it looked like it hurt. <laughs> right. Uh, and I, I kind of yeah, had, that sounds about right. Yeah, and I kind of had a, I had a similar experience with friends of mine from Kansas City, which I also see that seemed to breed like a particularly crazy, and not not necessarily in a bad way, you know, just kind of like a uh-huh. there's just a wild there's something wild about yes. Kentucky. I feel like yeah. Yes, there there is. There is. I remember, you know, I would come back on the bus from, uh, I went to college in Boston, and sort of the further west the bus went, you know, the wilder the, the people would be on the bus. And, and when the people, the people who got kicked off the Greyhound bus, and I don't know if you've ever witnessed this, but it's always hilarious when someone has done something that wrong, you know, they were always... We were south of Pennsylvania. Always, always, it was those people who got kicked off the Greyhound bus. What do you, what do you have to do to get kicked off a Greyhound bus? You, you could smoke. Once I was on a bus and this man had a hatchet in his backpack. And I, I mean, I just couldn't believe it. Like, he really expected to ride three hours with a hatchet in his backpack. And the driver's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> either get off the bus or put it underneath and he didn't want to put it underneath 
So oh, for God's what sake. was he up to? Yeah. I know. I'm not so, I know. you're not gonna sleep you're not gonna sleep a wink if you're sitting next to the guy with the hatchet. <laughs> exactly. Head on a swivel. Um. Hey, everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Okay, so let's talk about growing up in South Central Kentucky. What was the name of your hometown? Where are you from? I grew up in Bowling Green, which is the home of the Corvette plant and Western Kentucky University. Okay, yeah. Um, It's not the the mountainous part of Kentucky, but the hilly part. Um, So the Western's mascot is the Hilltopper. Right. Um, And it's a beautiful place. I I really, I love to go back. In fact, I'm spending my sabbatical there. So um, it's just a really, was a great place to grow up. Just like, uh, like... uh... I don't know, wide open spaces. Did you have like an outdoorsy upbringing? Yeah, very much so. When I grew up, actually, um, when I was a kid, the Corvette plant wasn't there yet. So I spent a lot of time. I, I remember I went to this, there was this wide open field. And and I would just like lie there and like watch the plane go by. You know, and this was before uh, the traffic became to you know an insurmountable burden and and there was noise pollution but it was just beautiful grass woods you know great stuff oh man so and so, what, did, what did your folks do were like do you come from uh, artistic people not at all my mother is a high school teacher although she's an english teacher so that's maybe where the literary stuff came from sure. but my dad is actually a business executive um or he was at general electric so um, not not artsy in the least. I don't think they understand at all what happened. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who they raised. They're still they're still reeling in shock. They're still trying to exactly. Like... <laughs> they really are. They really are. And I was, you know, it, it was interesting. I don't think they really until my book came out. I like literally. I don't think they understood what I did all day. You know. Um, I think they thought I just kind of sat here and, I don't know, certainly not clean the house, but whatever they imagined I was doing. You know, I hear that over and over again from people that I talk with for this show is that people, people just have people who are not writers or who don't, who haven't really, I guess, spent time thinking about it or talking to people who do it or whatever it is, they have a hard time understanding the the life. You, you, you got to produce mm-hmm. it. I guess you got to just show them books. And even right? then, even then, it can sometimes be hard to get taken seriously. Like until 
Yeah. I don't know what has to happen. You know, whether it's book sales or like you're on you're on television. I, th I think you have to be on television, right. or the book has to be turned into a movie, and then then things get real. Then, <laughs> then people will know you're human. Yeah. Yes. No, is your kid is your kid artistic at all, or is he going to be like a Republican or she? Uh, it, it's oh, it's actually she, a little yeah. She. It's a little girl. I I don't oh. know. I think she's gonna be funny. Uh, oh. She's wordy, you know, she's she's really verbal for her age, you know, I think. Uh -huh. She would have to be uh -huh. with, with her parent. I mean, she's not going to be a mathematician with her bloodlines. You know? <laughs> like, neither my wife or I um, are going to be, you know, handing down any great, like, scientific genes or whatever. But, um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. you know, it's hard to say. I, I tend to think, like, I have this thing that, like, you know, I want her to have a sense of humor because I think you need that in life. And I think that's, like... I don't know. I'm hope. I hope I know how to teach her that. But it, I, I don't know if she'll be artistic. She loves to draw. She loves to read. But she's only three. You know, we'll see. Mm -hmm. and, uh, mm -hmm. As as to her politics, like I'll have to sit her down and ask her tonight. I have no idea. <laughs> like I, I hope I hope she's open. I hope she's open minded. Yes, I think you can tell by how she shares things on the playground, right? Yeah, she's pretty. I mean, Whether she's she's not she's not too possessive. I mean, like there's certain stuffed animals. Uh -huh. There's certain stuffed animals that she has like an emotional attachment to. Um, there's a chicken. There's a little chicken called Chicky that, um, you know, I think oh. if, if you try to take it from her, she's gonna she's gonna shiv you. you know? <laughs> like, but <laughs> other things, you know, candy, food. Uh, other animals, you know, I think she's pretty generous. Uh -huh. So we'll see. Uh -huh. But oh, cool. um, so did you grow up with uh, siblings in, in Kentucky? Or were you an only? Or? I have a, a sister who is nine and a half years younger than me. So I was an only child for a long, long time. But she's uh, now, you know, 10 years younger than me, which is you know, 19, because I'm 29, <laughs> and she lives, she lives in D.C., um, and she's an animal rights attorney, so she's probably even more confounding to my parents than I am. <laughs> um. well, so, but let, let me ask, do you have like a, I mean, I know nine and a half years, like there's probably a long spell of your childhood and adolescence, and you were on the way to college where like you don't know your sibling all that well, like... Have you been? Have you guys had um, uh, been able to like get to know one another with that much of an age gap? Um, wow, that's a, a really good question. I feel like there was a point because I was, I, and I went to college a little early. So when I went to college, I was sixteen and she was six. There was a point though when I came back home from the summer where we became close and we became close enough to actually have some knockdown drag out fights, believe it or not. There you um, go. And, and I think, you know, I, I think at that point we did, um, unfortunately, I think there's also, I, I think we're close, but I think when, when there's that much of an age difference between kids, sometimes there's this mom thing that happens, you know, I'm not, I'm your sister, but when you're, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old, I'm kind of old enough to be your guardian, and sometimes I have to be. And and I think, you know, those are some years of, of tension when there's that much of an age difference, because um, I wasn't her mother. I just thought I was, you know? Right. So if you asked her, I think you'd get a, a really different different story. I'm going to have to get I'll, I'll get her on the line. I'll get her on the line after I'm done talking with you. <laughs> So, uh, when did you start to show as a writer? Like, were you, when you were a young kid, I mean, you, you said you went off to college, um, at age 16, like, were you, you good student, 
uh, advanced, like skipping grades kind of thing? I, I skipped grades when I was really little. And then, um, you know, I, I can't say I was ever this great student because until I started seriously writing, I didn't really know what interested me. I had no clue. I went to college. I majored in poli sci. I took one, wait, wait, one wait. creative writing. Where, I'm sorry. Where did you go to school when you were 16? I, I went to Harvard and I thought that I was going to be a politician. So I majored in poli sci and I wasn't really that happy. I was one of the worst students Whoever went to Harvard. Wait, um, I like, went to- how did how did you get in? Like you're 16 years old, and like you're graduate, <laughs> you've graduated high school. So yes, it's not. I was 16. Yeah. Okay, so then you just I guess that was just you just decided Harvard's one on on my list, and I'm going to apply. I did. I wanted to go. Um, I was a lot like I was. I wouldn't say my novel's autobiographical, but I was a lot like these girls in the sense that I just had to leave home, and it had to be as far away as possible. So I applied to colleges around there, but I I wasn't serious. I mean, my parents had no clue how serious I wasn't about that. You know, um, everywhere I was serious about was at least six hundred miles away. <laughs> So what was it? What was it? Was it like I, you know, I just need to strike out on my own, see some new stuff, or was there was was there unhappiness, like adolescent unhappiness, driving it? I think I felt very overprotected, um, and I think I was an, an, an incredibly overprotected child, you know, um, and perhaps in part because I was graduating so early, I felt like if I didn't. If I didn't make this a big, big, big move, I was going to pay for it in some, in in that sense of, you know, I would still be susceptible to this overprotection. Um, so I knew it had to be a big break, right? Do it big, do it big. And did then, you did you go away? Yeah, far? I did. Yeah, I had. To, I mean, I almost went to Indiana. Like I was signed up. I had my name on the door, and I made a last minute decision. Like it suddenly occurred to me, like I don't want to, because I, I basically would have been redoing high school, you know. Like that was mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. went, everybody went to IU, and at the last minute, I was like, no, I'm going to go to Colorado, and I went off to Boulder. Right, um, nice. Which you know, you, a beautiful place. Beautiful, beautiful. I didn't do much, you know, I didn't do much studying, but it was, uh, it was, a, it was a fun four years, and uh, just a great, great town to live in, and just like uh, mm-hmm. gave me like an appreciation for the outdoors that I probably would not have had otherwise. I met. You know, mm-hmm. a ton of people that mm-hmm. I, you know, it's a big decision where you go. And, you know, yeah. s- suddenly you're on, uh, you're at Harvard and you're on this campus, you're 16 years old. Like, did that age mm-hmm. difference being a freshman, like, cause two years makes a big difference at that age, you know, uh, right, the, difference, right, the, difference, right. the difference between 29 and 31, nothing, but the difference between 16 right. and 18, I'm sure you kind of felt. You know, it, I, only in retrospect, I think at the time, because I because I had done the skipping so early, I felt like socially I was their age. And then when I, I think back, you know, I was in this freshman seminar, and my professor had no idea how old I was, and he was making me white Russians that he had us over to his house, and I think, my goodness, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can't imagine one of my kids at 16 going to this guy's house and he's making them like hard liquor drinks you know um but but yeah so i mean in retrospect i can't believe i did it but at the time now i felt like you know go away young lady go north all right you guys there we have it that was 
this week's flashback. An outtake from episode 264, my conversation with Jacinda Townsend. It first aired on March 30th, 2014. A reminder that you can listen to the full conversation with Jacinda Townsend if you so desire. Just look for episode 264 wherever you get your podcasts. All episodes of The Other People Show are available to listeners. You can find Jacinda on the internet at jacindatownsend.com. Follow her on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Don't forget to subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Follow the program on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Blue Sky. You can sign up for free for my weekly email newsletter over at bradlisty.substack.com. Join the Other People Patreon community at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. You can also sign up for the Other People Book Club if that sounds good. It's just $9.99 a month. You get a new book delivered to your door every 30 days. I interview book club authors on this program. So if that sounds good, head on over to otherppl.com and sign up for the book club. If you have a couple of minutes and you want to do me a quick favor, please give this show a rating wherever you listen. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it is, rate the podcast, review the podcast. It helps the program find new listeners. If you would like to get some apparel, an Other People t-shirt or a sweatshirt, you can do that at otherppl.com. And last but not least, I have a book out. My latest book is called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. It is a novel available now in trade paperback, ebook, and audiobook editions. I narrate the audiobook. So if you want to read my book, you can read my book one more time. It is called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. All right. So coming up on Sunday on The Other People Show, I will be airing the 900th author interview in this program's history. My guest will be Leslie Jameson, the author of a critically acclaimed new memoir called Splinters. Very excited to talk with Leslie Jameson and to share that conversation with all of you. You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned.